Miller played. Songs that made the hip parade. Return with us to the sights and sounds of Archie Bunker's neighborhood. 30 years ago, the television symbol of living in the American working class. Come on, Rudy in California. On the phone? No, we just open up the window and holler. Here's Archie's house today, the blue one on the right. Kathy Massey moved into Archie's neighborhood 40 years ago. Her husband was a truck driver. She showed us who's buying these houses now. Um, he's a banker. He's a CEO. Kids today that are professionals with advanced degrees can't even afford to live here. She says in 1978, her house cost almost $60,000. Today, it's valued at 800000 Those homes were built for middle-class Americans. They were built for teachers. They were built for firefighters. They were built for nurses. And those types of people can't afford those homes anymore. And these soaring house prices aren't just in New York. It's happening in job markets across the country. I love this town. I love this community. This is Marisha Sevilla. I'm sorry, I didn't expect to get emotional. You are looking at the new face of displacement. She's one of the people caught in the vicious choice between affording where you live and affording your life. I think I grew up middle class. My parents have four children. They own their home. I didn't imagine I would still be without any idea of how I would get into a house at this point. Her husband is a microbiologist at a lab. They rent a small two-bedroom apartment in California. Make this ramp better. College savings for the girls? Nothing. Add to it the 25% hike in rent in her town of Burlingame, California. Her neighborhood being squeezed by high-tech millionaires. Across the country, in Kansas City, we meet Terrence Wise, another American who believes you build a life on hard work. He leaves home at 5.30 and returns 16 hours later. He records the beginning of his day. Just like everybody in America, heading to work, trying to take care of my family. Morning. How you doing? When we meet him, he has two jobs at fast food franchises. One at Burger King, a second at McDonald's. It takes him eight buses to commute to and from his work. There's three more buses to go. Thank you. And there's a big change in the fast food worker. Back in 1980, the majority of fast food workers were teenagers. But today, 75% of these workers are in their 20s or older, a third of them with children. The American people, some may look and say, it's something you didn't do right. And they think, okay, well, you should have stayed in school or you should have did this. Well, look, I'm working. I have a family. We're at where we're at in this life right now. This wasn't the life that Terrence had planned. He says he was once a smart kid in high school dreaming of the University of South Carolina, but he had to help with family bills. I've been at uh, Burger King, what, 11 years now? $8 an hour after 11 years of service. And yet after all those buses, all those hours, he says no vacation time, no benefits. You go into these McDonald's or any restaurant and you, you notice the smiling faces. But when he leaves, he goes home to little food of his own or no lights, no water. And it's, it's hard to see that through a smiling face. Terrence points out his hours can be reduced so his income isn't guaranteed. One of the hardest things, watching the leftover food at the end of the shift. What do they do with the food that is left over? Where, where I work, the food is 
thrown away. Two years ago, a worker at another store posted this on YouTube. You see, this is all the food we have left at the end of the night that we have to throw away. When we meet Terrence, he has already become a passionate advocate at the center of the national movement called Fight for 15, arguing for an increase in the federal minimum wage from $7.25. I know with $15 an hour, if it started tomorrow, I would only have to work one job. Then I would have an opportunity to go to work and then go to school. The top companies in the fast food industry made combined profits of $6.6 .6 billion in 2015. While one study shows 52% of all their employees are getting some form of public assistance. Is this a way taxpayers are subsidizing the industry? Nobody wants to get food stamps. I want to go in and pull out my cash and buy my food and... And, and have insurance through my job. And again, he says, a little more makes so much difference. They don't see a movie. I haven't been to the movie since The Matrix. And I don't know if you know how old that movie is. Yep, this is our stuff. There has always been income inequality in America, but as we said, today, it's more extreme. Take Silicon Valley, the high-tech companies with the golden names, where employees get free food, any kind, as much as they want, free dry cleaning, gyms on site, and right there, all around them, thousands of other people also working very hard in the shadows. There, amid all the wealth, we heard about the drivers of employee shuttle buses. When we began our report, we found drivers sleeping in the parking lot. 35 to 40 bus drivers are here. People are sleeping all over here on their cars. It's just awful when you park inside and you have drivers uh, covering their cars with blankets and towels. These drivers are what's called contract employees, working for companies who provide them to the high-tech industry. When we met them, they had few benefits, little vacation, no paid holidays. They just turned the ignition switch on to accessory. At that time, one of the drivers ferrying Apple employees to their campus was Scott Peebles. He was trying to save money for a rental apartment someplace nearby, but at the time was living in his car using an inflatable mattress. I mean, if people would know this, if uh, corporations or the businesses that they work for, there would probably be a guess that their employees were living in a car or van. Cover on, and then I just close the door and say goodnight. <laughs> we saw the parallel lives. Near luxury houses, trailers parked in the streets service employees living so differently from the people they serve. And all over the country, there are business leaders saying it's time to bring new ideas to American workers and their wages. And this is a man named Mark Bertolini, who has ideas of his own. He's the son of an auto worker, successful CEO of a Goliath company at the healthcare, 49,000 employees. Bertolini says it all has to begin with corporate leaders who want to learn the lives of their workers. Where do they live and what are their lives like? And it took me six months to get that data. But once I got the data, I was embarrassed. He says when he became CEO, he was surprised to discover that some of his full-time employees were paid so little, they had to go on public assistance. I said, how can we let this happen? Here we are, a major Fortune 50 company with employees who are suffering every day to make ends meet. So Aetna raised salaries to at least $16 an hour. They're helping workers pay down college debts. And he vowed not to pass any of these costs on to the Aetna consumer. 18% of the American public actually believes corporations are good. 
18%. So you know, how much lower do we need to go before we figure out this doesn't work? And so instead of waiting for it to go away, why don't we step forward with some courage and conviction to make it better? A new capitalism. Yeah. Let's reinvent it. I mean, we're the captains of it. Why shouldn't we be the ones that say, here's the new way? And Bertolini says if there are CEOs in America who don't know where to start, just give him a call.